This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Hello and welcome to The Way I See It, a new series about modern art with me, Alastair Souk. I think, I, I hope, that by now you've got the premise, but just in case, we're inviting brilliant, creative people from across the arts, film stars, sopranos, writers, restaurateurs, to pick a single work of art from the vast, permanent collection of more than 200,000 objects at MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art in New York. The idea is that their choice should thrill or inspire them in some way, and that they should then tell us why they see it the way they do. Along the way, as this 30-part series unfurls, we're building up a back catalogue of episodes, all of which, incidentally, are available to download, that together should function as a sort of new, alternative, multi-perspective history, or maybe that should be histories, of modern art. As a designer, art has been something that I've interpreted, in Brancusi's case, as like an ultimate essence of perfection. But looking at this... I keep thinking of forms of gowns or dresses or of human movement or of dancers. Zach Posen is an American fashion designer whose flamboyant ball gowns steeped in old Hollywood glamour have been worn by superstars, including singers like Beyonce and Rihanna, as well as A-list actresses, at red carpet events all over the world. Appropriately enough, Zach's choice for this series is one of the most elegant works in MoMA's collection, characterised by sweeping lines, sinuous curves and a shimmer of gold. It's a sculpture destined for the gallery, not the red carpet, standing four and a half feet tall, including the base, and cast in bronze in 1928 by the Romanian-born sculptor Constantin Brancusi. It belongs to a series of similar but not identical sculptures on which Brancusi worked over the course of 40 years, all with the same soaring poetic title, Bird in Space. I see something that has a visceral perfection to it, parts of imperfection into it that give it the living quality. Very polished and reflective, looks like a copper but almost in a gold finish kind of an elongated elliptical banana (laughs) that kind of transcends into a stand and within the stand as it moves down is where I start to feel that it's Mm man-made, that there's a human base to it. And then it's just sitting on quite a simple disc out of stone. So you have this very almost futuristic, almost alienist type shape sitting on something very organic and porous as as a stone. Brancusi's one of the more popular figures in modern art. His first work to feature a bird, a tower of stacked forms more than seven feet tall, topped with a marble carving of a magical bird from a Romanian fairy tale, appeared in 1910. Called Maestra, it also belongs to the Museum of Modern Art, And 13 years later, Brancusi created his first bird in space, in marble, not bronze, a sort of swooping, concentrated essence of avian flight, which, and Zach's right, does look a little bit like an elongated banana. Nine bronze versions of Brancusi's bird in space exist, and each one is unique. 
I never make reproductions, the sculptor once said. If I change one dimension an inch, all the other proportions have to be changed and it is the devil's job to do it. As it happens, MoMA owns not one but two birds in space, along with ten other sculptures by Brancusi, enough for an entire gallery dedicated to his work. Brancusi's studio in Paris, where he lived and worked from 1904 until his death in 1957, was an important place in the history of modernism, and evoking a sense of it has been an ambition for MoMA curator Paulina Perboha. We have the sense of a bird in flight by looking at the form, but we also have that sense because it's positioned high above your head. And this was... Is it supposed to be positioned this high? This base is yeah. based on the exact dimensions of a pedestal that Brancusi made specifically for this bird. And if you look around the room, all of the birds are up high. And that's exactly how they were intended to be. They were meant to soar high above wondered. your head. Yeah. Brancusi first came into my mind and conscious coming to the Museum of Modern Art as a child. It was right there, kind of, I believe, on the ground floor, right before you got in the escalator, so you had this ability to see bird in space from multitude of perspectives and also have the reflection of the garden on it as yeah. well in the windows. It was definitely taken by my father, who was an artist. So on weekends, I lived in Soho, New York, and on weekends we would do outings above 14th Street, which meant to museums. You know, as a young child, especially with my father, his time that he needed with artwork was obviously longer than my attention span. So I would kind of pre-do a museum on my own speed and then kind of find what pieces I just reacted to. I think I reacted to it because I loved sculpting, I liked form, and the relationship between human and natural forms and nature. I mean, it could be a bean pod too. It's about movement. He was a huge music lover, but he made fake rocks to hide his speakers. <laughs> so that, so, Naturalistic setting? Exactly. I mean, it was just more like sculptors. He put the speakers in his sculpture. Well, they it's feel like, like music as pieces. Right. Well, I hate to, you know, I don't know how to say well, that or how to express that, right? I mean, it looks like a sound. Yeah. I don't know what that sound is. Probably Eric Satie. Brancusi and Eric Satie were friends and admired each other's work. Brancusi used to refer to the older composer as Socrates, after his opera Socrates, which was performed in Paris in 1920. Sarti, in turn, called his friend Plato. Certainly, in my mind, Brancusi has the stature of an ancient Greek philosopher or an Old Testament prophet, in part because he cultivated an impressively bushy beard, but also because his work, which I encountered again at MoMA shortly after Zach's visit, has a visionary quality to it, an inner strength and self-confidence. I find Constantin Brancusi a fascinating figure. I think there's a, an aura about him, a mythology, because he came from rural Romania. He was born into this peasant family. He was the fifth of seven children. And he studied in Bucharest before eventually arriving in Paris in the summer of 1904. The story he used to tell was that it took him two years to walk there, travelling by foot. Earns a bit of cash washing dishes whilst he's making work. Spends a little bit of time in the studio of Auguste Rodin, towering figure of sculpture in the 19th century into the 20th century in France. But really interestingly, Brancusi didn't like being in the presence of the master. And after a couple of months, he left. And soon afterwards, he started 
pioneering, finessing, honing his own vision, completely different to that of Rodin. Gone was the traditional idea of modelling something in clay and then casting it or replicating it in marble. And instead, it was suddenly all about direct carving. And in front of me is the work of art that Zach Posen has chosen, Brancusi's iconic, famous bird in space. And it is a gorgeous, alluring work of art because clearly this is not about representing what a bird looks like. It's about trying to capture the essence of something, an abstraction, a quality. I think movement, Mm -hmm. I think of flight. It is erect, so it has a projection to it. Rocket ship bird, almost more in a, a very idealized form of what you could imagine a swallow or a very fast bird or the beak of a bird even moving through space. You don't have the wings, you don't have the tail. It's just that gesture of movement and the sensuality of that form. I mean, it is a very sexy object. We can't deny. And then on the top, this interesting kind of slice off of it Mm. that maybe gives it something slightly figurative. Just there. That tip, the point at the top, makes it feel somehow like possibly the head of the bird but just animates that part of the sculpture. It's an extra facet, a detail. If Zach hadn't mentioned that, I I think I could happily have gone through my entire life and never noticed that at all. Which may reflect on my deficient powers of observation, not something that, as an art critic, I particularly wish to dwell on. So, moving swiftly on, the bigger point is that how we respond to works of art is endlessly fascinating and intensely individual as these programs repeatedly demonstrate. But looking at this, if I were interpreting this, I keep thinking of forms of gowns or dresses or of human movement or of dancers. What I could imagine is a form of like a satin-faced chiffon being pulled through space. I wouldn't say through air. I wouldn't say through water. What happens when you pull an object? Obviously, it would kind of magically collect or maybe you have a body inside it in a dive, and and what that would look like of the form and how the fabric itself magically would kind of recollect at the base of the feet. There's also something that's very strong about the solid metallic quality of it. Uh, I would get draping, and I would drape on a human body versus on a mannequin. So it might start off over with her hands in a diving position, but I probably would clip the top of it, where that notch of, off the top of it is, which would create an opening in the fabric, and the fabric would fall. I would cut it on bias, which means on a 45-degree angle, and that means that it will move to the body in a very sensual way without having seams, because there's a real seamless quality to this that is part of its real desirability. Now, there was an artist who actually later became... Uh, director of the Department of Photography here at the Museum of Modern Art, whose name was Edward Steichen. And he bought a version of Bird in Space from Brancusi's studio in Paris, and he wanted to bring it back home to America. And when he turns up at the border and shows it to the customs officials, the official looks at him and goes, what is this? And Steichen says, well, it's, it's a work of art. It's called Bird in Space. It's a sculpture. 
and the customs official would not entertain the idea that this piece of metal could possibly be work of art. And so he said, I'm sorry, mate, it's not. It counts as kitchenware or other ordinary household utensils. And consequently, he slapped a big tax onto the work. It would have been exempt had it been categorised by the customs official as a sculpture. And Brancusi got involved and he decided to fight it and actually took it. It was a law case, took it to trial. And uh, trial starts October 1927 and apparently lasted for a full year in which there were many expert witnesses, people from the art world, critics, who were invited to come in and explain in a court of law how this could possibly be a masterpiece of modern art. And it has a happy ending, the story, because the judge was quite enlightened. And in the end, the judge ruled that, yes, it may not look like a bird, but this is nevertheless the representation of flight. It is a work of art. So let's hear it for Judge Jay Waite and his landmark ruling on that earlier variant of Bird in Space, which was something of a turning point in the acceptance of modern art. Before leaving the museum, curator Paulina Paboha showed Zach a short video of Brancusi towards the end of his life. The black and white footage of this bearded artist in his overalls offered quite a contrast to his lustrous, slender bird in space, gracefully curving upwards in MoMA's bright gallery. He played the part, and it built his world, but the work itself had validity, authenticity, soul. His own arms are almost the wings in building that. When he was standing over that and building it, that form is made through almost one form of a gesture of the hands. And maybe that's when you think of a film over a body, that's what you always try to achieve. Thank you for listening. Discover more incredible works of modern art by searching for The Way I See It on BBC Sounds.